0: Warning, the content of the show is left-leaning and offers radical ideas, plus challenging the status quo. Accordingly, we ask you to remain calm and have an open mind. If not, there are other podcast shows that can speak to your conformity. Thank you for listening to Firebrand. I am your host AJ. Um, a lot of good shits happening with Firebrand. Um, we plan on being on Tuesdays, um, but with the outpour of people wanting to participate on the podcast, you know we're going to do this Tuesday through Thursday for upload. So check those out at six in the morning. Um, download it before you go to work. Or if not, check it out in the afternoon as well. Um, you can find us here on the Facebook facebook.com forward slash firebrand you can check us out on soundcloud as well as spotify just type in the search firebrand all lowercase um today we have a, a really special guest with us um sean Nestor out of toledo ohio um sean is with us because there's something that happened in ohio that i find very interesting it's this idea of a bill of rights for the great lakes, particularly Lake Erie. Uh, we am going to be talking about that. And we're also going to be talking about organizing with Sean. So without further ado, Sean, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate being here, AJ.
0: Not a problem. Um, so let's get into it with the bill of rights. Um, last year, it was last year, if I remember right, um, yourself and a few others kind of organized a group in toledo ohio and made this call for a lake erie bill of rights um at first glance what from my perspective um and and please tell me if i'm wrong on this it's this idea that no one really advocates for the great lakes and in your case lake erie side of the great lakes and it's kind of like what bolivia has done is that you know there's this call to the ecosystem, a call for protecting our local environments. And it's kind of what y'all did in Toledo. But if that's correct, um, what else was that to that initiative?
1: Yeah, actually, uh, and I'll go back a little bit. We actually have been working on it longer than the last year or two. Uh, The issue had its genesis in early 2016, actually, is when we first started coming together to here in Toledo to forge what became the Lake Erie Bill of Rights. We got it on the ballot um, in a special election in February of 2019, and um, it was immediately challenged in the courts, which we knew it would be, because it is so radical and such a new idea, and it challenges power structures um, that have a lot of money. But, um, and there's a really great story there, a uh, real David and Goliath story in terms of even just getting to the ballot. We were, uh, pr- we were held up from being on the ballot um, a number of times, but we were able to successfully earn our place on the ballot. Um, we, were, we had a campaign uh, that spent $300,000 uh, against us, claiming that we were all out-of-town extremists, which was absolutely not true. We were all in town and, well, the extremist part was probably kind of true, but um, (laughs) we were outspent. We raised like $6,000, I think was our whole campaign chest. And we had, I mean, we were as grassroots and scrappy as they come. We were outspent 50 to one. We still won 60% of the vote um, when we went to the ballot and the same, Figures, it turned out to be an out-of-town extremist, British Petroleum, who bankrolled the entire three hundred thousand against us. <laughs> um, we were a cha- they uh, working with the Ohio Farm Bureau, then um, worked to try to slow us down in the courts. And a uh, decision was finally reached uh, about a month ago on that in federal court, which actually is uh, in the process of being appealed right now. But this all goes back to organizing that took place in early 2016. And it was a response to ongoing pollution of Lake Erie from large animal factories uh, that have uh, grown up tremendously over the last 15 to 20 years in Northwest Ohio and a lot of other places where untreated animal waste in incredible volumes is just put in these giant lagoons it seeps into the uh, watershed, it ends up polluting Lake Erie, and we have these harmful algae blooms that produce a toxin, uh, called microcystin, that um, we're finding all sorts of things about, including that it's a, um, it has toxic effects on our human neurosystems. But um, all of this resulted in um, the city of Toledo losing water for like two or three days in August of 2014, and that was the kind of the rallying cry when a lot of people said this is enough Um, and a group that I helped form called Toledoans for safe water, um, came up with the Lake Erie bill of rights approach and, um, there's, you know, that's all the summary version of it kind of jumping back and forward a little bit in the timeline, but there's just so many aspects and so many elements to it. And that's kind of the summary of where it's at.
0: So, so you talked about the early stages of it, that there was this concern of animal waste going to Lake Erie. Um, Can you walk us through what organizing meetings were like at that time? Um, Did you all just get the paper out and put on the walls or the whiteboards and start writing everything down and saying, you know, power mapping? I mean, what what was that a meeting like? Say this this is the direction we're going to go. What was that organizing meeting like?
1: Well, it's interesting because, what you know, water quality isn't necessarily an issue where they're you know that nobody's working on there's there's been environmental organizations including uh, some organizations very specifically working on lake erie mm-hmm. for a long time locally uh, long before the uh, algae blooms hit a point where, where we lost water for a few days in august of 2014 um, before that, there was an organization called the Lake Erie Water Keepers, which are part of the larger water keepers organization nationally so this is a nonprofit that we're, um, you know is kind of at the forefront in a lot of ways with water issues and locally that's championed by a uh, suburban city councilwoman and longtime uh, pol- polit- uh, politician uh, who's also a very intelligent scientist, uh, sandy bin um, so there had already been a lot of work happening, and when the water crisis hit it 's like suddenly. It became not just, you know, a couple of niche, n- small nonprofits, everybody wanted in, everybody was looking for, what can we do? And every political group was looking to try to make political hay out of it. Um, grassroots groups, um, a couple of them formed, um, one of which, which I was involved with was advocates for a clean Lake Erie. And the other one was the organization I formed called Toledoans for safe water. We did try before we really, um, and there's an interesting question there of like, when you go to work on an issue, Mm -hmm. do you just join up with the existing force and try to bolster it and take it maybe in new directions or add new energy? Or do you start a new group that will hopefully, you know, work from the outside? There were a lot of questions like that, that we had to try to answer. And uh, functionally what ended up happening is a conflict sort of with the nonprofit industrial complex, frankly, I don't, mean to knock the Lake Erie water keepers at all. I think they're a tremendous organization, but their analysis of how to make change came down to getting a seat at the table, um, talking very nicely and reviewing the facts with politicians with this good faith assumption that there's not any kind of corruption or any kind of inherent problem with the way our system of governance works, particularly in the regulatory aspect. And that approach was something that um, a lot of folks who ended up forming Advocates for a Clean Lake Erie uh, didn't quite agree with. we uh, ACLE, as we called it, um, really wanted to do a much more grassroots approach using demonstrations, protests, pickets. Every time one of these esteemed uh, figures from the state government or the Ohio EPA would come and give a talk in the area, they would pick it outside and point out that these people don't let it this, you know the decorum fool you these people are complicit in the poisoning of our water stream and we need to point that out um, so there was a split there and it was funny because um, both advocates for a clean lake erie and the lake erie water keepers most of the membership was a little bit older and there was i think sort of a generational difference in terms of how we viewed change uh, most of the folks who formed toledo Wins for safe water were in their 20s Early 30s, it's a generally younger group. Most of the folks in ACLE and the Lake Erie Waterkeepers were baby boomers. They were probably in their 50s, 60s, maybe early 70s, and um, they kind of brought uh, a recollection of the 60s and the 70s and the wins uh, for the establishment of things like the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act. They still had a faith that with the right agitation, landshed, uh, <laughs> landmark watershed. Um, legislation could happen nationally that would kind of come in and save the day. There was this faith in the system there. And then, you know, me and the other younger people were like, yeah, we have no faith in that whatsoever. (laughs) We grew up watching like the the BP Deep Horizon oil spill and like nothing really happened. Uh, We kind of grew up in an environment where the lesson over and over again is that a large corporation is going to get away with polluting whatever they want. And there's gonna be so many loopholes and so many little, oh, not quite, sorry, that's gonna keep anybody from being held accountable for major uh, environmental catastrophes. So Toledoans for Safe Water was sort of uh, looking at this and going, we need a different approach. And we had heard of an organization called the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, CELDEF. Um, I was familiar with them because they had done a lot of work in Eastern Ohio trying to fight fracking. And their analysis was a lot more in line with mine because their analysis said we can't trust the system. The system um, isn't broke. It's fixed. Uh, It's fixed against us. It's fixed in favor of the corporations. And it's our job to break the system. And uh, that was something I really resonated with. And their approach said that um, they kind of stressed two facets to how they think change really comes about. One is the stress on community rights, which is an emphasis on local organizing and winning local change and local policy making, really centering kind of the concept of like home rule um, and uh, letting people determine policy where they live rather than always having policies set for them by somebody in a distant capital and the other half was rights of nature, which, um, as you mentioned, is kind of this growing national or international movement to upend assumptions about the role of nature in our legal mm-hmm. system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, rights of nature is kind of the engine that drives uh, initiatives like the Lake Erie Bill of Rights. We were not the first one to attempt that. Um, Grant Township in Pennsylvania, a very small town that's been combating fracking, uh, attempted numerous times uh, in the state of Pennsylvania to uh, assert rights of nature as a way to prevent fracking of their Uh, drinking water Um, but we took the approach and we were able to enact it as an amendment to our municipal charter which made us the largest city to do so and i think the first one really to do it in the context of granting legal standing to lake erie so um for people who don't know the rights of nature concept basically a lot of people are familiar with corporate personhood Mm -hmm. the idea that a corporation in the eyes of our system of governance is legally a person mm-hmm. like it can stand as plaintiff in a court case um, yet yeah, we think that lake erie should be able to do that as well and we want to try to push for a legal system that looks at ecosystems like lake erie as having enough personhood in the eyes of the law to stand on its own and to get injunctions against uh, practices that will certainly harm it and to recognize the scientific reality that we are not separate from the ecosystems that support us. We're a part of them and they're a living thing that deserves recognition in our system of law. So I know I've kind of rambled a bit there, but uh, hopefully that touched on some of the history of organizing approaches and differences in them um, and how some of that came about.
0: No, it did. It did. And, you know... You also touched on something that I don't think a lot of us, especially some of us seasoned activists and organizers talk about a lot, which is on the environmental justice side and trying to fight for whether it's a local ecosystem or animal rights. And you also mentioned earlier that you had a a fight with the legal system of saying, if I've heard you correctly, that why is this even an issue? This should not be in the core of law whatsoever. um And I'm also reminded of, I think it was in the '80s, Rush Limbaugh was on the old Phil Donahue show where he said, like, like animals have no souls, so they have like no rights and everything. And and I kind of go back to like the Great Lakes. Like we have these great, big, beautiful lakes in the Midwest, and it always seems like they're always get literally crapped on, Now only by animal waste, but BP dumping their toxic waste into that. Um, you have like Benton Harbor issue in Michigan. Um, and I guess when you had to go in before of Law saying, you know, this is what we're fighting for, what did the attorneys you worked with that were fighting on your behalf were constructing as an argument and what were like the other side trying to fight against because i think that's very interesting in in the core law when it comes to environmental justice that a lot of people should pay attention more to i feel
1: yeah so environmental law is really interesting it's kind of a, a very niche field in the system of law because so much of our legal system is really a inheritance from English common law going back centuries and centuries. And frankly, you know, most of our legal system was established prior to the industrial revolution, prior to major threats to the environment. And we've just never figured out how to appropriately uh, inject the environment into our understanding of the legal system. So one aspect of, and this is, you know, certainly, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, but this is something I've talked about with and reviewed with uh, environmental lawyers and kind of an ongoing legal conversation. But in our system of law, you kind of exist in, an entity kind of exists in one of two states, either you're a living thing with rights or you're property. And that's why, you know, look at the constitution and the approach to uh, anybody who was black, they were considered property. In certain legal interpretations, women were considered the property of their husbands. They weren't people. Um, there's a history in the United States and other countries borrowing from English common law that basically said, if you're not a person, you're property. And as property, uh, our legal system recognizes that whoever the owner of the property is, is allowed to do as much damage to it as they want, whether that be through the implementation of slavery, through the, through the establishment of domestic violence as a, as a way of raining terror on people, or in our case, to basically rationalizing wholesale destruction of the environment we depend on. So um, there's some interesting ideas going back to at least the early 70s, when a legal scholar by the name of Christopher Stone published an article entitled Should Trees Have Standing? So this is 1972, hmm. and he kind of said, you know, our legal system doesn't really understand the role or, or how the environment really relates. It just treats it as property, which we all kind of know isn't true. I mean, we, it, it's a shortcut to treat it that way. Um, and a lot of people just kind of run with that, but it really doesn't fit with our understanding of the environment and our ecology's role in our survival. So maybe we should consider giving trees standing in court. Uh, maybe we should consider giving nature rights under the law. Uh, Maybe not exactly like constitutional rights, but rights that are appropriate to give it standing enough to defend itself in our legal system. So that analysis was kind of um, developed a lot further in the 90s here in the United States by the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund. But other legal scholars all over the world have been exploring this idea. And it's kind of a growing movement where different countries are starting to gradually implement it in some ways um, for very specific entities. There are a couple rivers in India and in China that have been granted legal rights under their system. And it's been done in broad ways too, I believe, uh, I think it was Ecuador that implemented it in their constitution. Uh, actually, when they rewrote their constitution about 12 years ago, they incorporated uh, legal understanding for rights of nature in it. and. Um, I got to participate, me and a few other organizers from Toledoans for Safe Water a few years ago when Tulane University, um, their law department or their law school held a symposium on rights of nature. Uh, We traveled down to New Orleans and we spent the whole day where we got to hear from people all over the world and all over the United States about rights of nature, where it's come from, Where it's been implemented, how it's been implemented, some of the challenges, the successes, the failures, and the prospect of it going forward. It was a really fascinating event. And um, it was so cool to know that we got to play a part in history by declaring Lake Erie um, a living thing under the law. So, going back to your point, to your question about um, lawyers and their arguments, um, one thing that's really important is asserting the fact that the people of Toledo voted, they declared that Lake Erie is a person mm-hmm. by approving Lake Erie bill of rights. We amended our charter, which is, you know, the foundational document, basically the constitutional equivalent for our city. And in Ohio, we do recognize home rule according to our state constitution, which basically says that cities are allowed to have the right of self-governance and can write their own laws as long as they don't directly contradict the state's laws. And, um, you know, the open question is, does something like the Lake Erie Bill of Rights directly contradict state law? Mm-hmm. That's largely what has been debated in the, in the case about its legality. But really what it's boiled down to are nitpicky details, legal outs that are trying to dodge the tougher question of whether, um, you know, nature should have rights. So for example, in the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, we insist that Lake Erie has the right to exist, evolve, and flourish. And that was attacked. You know, it said, well, you can't keep, you can't pass law that vague. And we had to point out, what does it say? Um, How vague is the First Amendment? Something about freedom of speech, go figure out what that means. And our courts have spent a lot of time over the centuries debating the boundaries of that. Um, This would be something akin to that. Um, It's a specious argument to insist that we have to have legislation that carves out every specific detail. Uh, Laws are passed all the time that assert an outcome and leave it to other governing entities, whether they be courts or legislatures, to determine the boundaries of that. Our assertion is that by passing this, it's up to the government to figure out how to make this work, not simply to say this is a little too... um, bold of a challenge for us, so we're going to try to find a way to squash it, which is naturally where a lot of enemies of this are trying to take it. So um, we actually, the cool thing about passing this as a charter amendment is that the the lawyers for the city of Toledo, the law department for the city of Toledo is the legal, um, they're the ones who get sued, (laughs) and they have to defend it and there was concern actually that they could throw the case and say well we didn't necessarily want this to pass anyway um we had there were some hints that the mayor uh, who would be in charge of the law department and get to set the tone was maybe going to be um you know was not in favor of this for whatever reason he's been pretty outspoken about trying to defend lake erie Um, But of course, I think this made him timid, the way it makes a lot of people who are career politicians timid, um, because it is such uh, an extreme challenge to the status quo. But to our surprise, um, he actually, um, they they contracted the work out to a local law firm. It has actually been incredibly well defended. Uh, We did try to enter as co-defendants because we wrote it and got it passed. That was actually rejected by the judge, which we're kind of salty about. Uh, we feel like we should have had the right to be there with the attorneys from the city, um, you know, legally collaborating with the attorneys from the city to get our arguments in. We were denied that, but uh, actually Sarah Scow, who is um, an incredible local attorney, um, her firm was the one who was hired and she was kind of the main counsel on this. She did an excellent job. Our, Our local attorney that we used to help craft this, Terry Lodge, who was kind of a, a legendary environmental lawyer and a radical himself um throughout the region and uh, he's done some important national cases as well terry looked it over and said she's actually doing a great job and, and we're lucky to have her so when um we were sued in federal court uh, the the um opponents of this which are primarily the farm bureau which is a you know lobbying firm primarily for the Um, animal factories that produce all this waste and don't have to pay any money to clean it up. Um, When that decision came down last month, uh, the city has 30 days to file an appeal. And I believe we're coming up on that deadline soon and I believe they're actually going to appeal, which means it'll go to a federal appellate court. And depending on how that goes, we could end up in the Supreme Court, uh, potentially. So, the story is not done yet. Uh, It remains to be seen how this gets mulled over. But the thing we're most proud of, regardless of whatever happens in the courts, is the fact that we've inspired um, people all over the country to think in these terms, which is something that we knew needed to happen. If you look at the history of any big movement, um, whether that's historic, something like the abolition of slavery, or, the battle for to gain suffrage for women um if you look closely enough it's always that there was rebellion in cities and towns and that rebellion eventually you know there'll be a manifestation of it on the in the legal side of it sooner or later but it bubbles up from cities and towns up to states and then eventually it becomes federal law we saw that with same-sex marriage we saw that with uh, marijuana legalization in the last 10 15 years We feel that regardless of how this turns out, we are working with communities all over the country, and they're planning to introduce these laws and enact them. And we're going to wear the system down. We're going to keep flooding them with people who keep asserting over and over that nature has rights until it does become law in a state or two. And as that wave goes, eventually we will win the federal level. The question in the back of all of our heads is do we have enough time because our legal system and the opponents that we're facing um, are think that they have all the time in the world to sort out all these issues and they simply don't. Uh, they're not taking our environmental crisis seriously enough and um, we're going to keep pressuring them from the streets to make sure that they know that this isn't just a matter of being polite. Um, there are a couple times actually we got to shout down the Lucas County Board of Elections um, I mean, there were some pretty tense scenes. We also confronted our local city council. I mean, it it got pretty ugly uh, at a few points because those entities held the keys as to whether or not we would actually go to ballot. Um, And by showing up in force, by raising a stink, and by stressing to the public, which everybody cares about our water, that here we are trying something bold to save our drinking water and look at these people who think they can stand in our way by pointing that message out, we always were able to get these people who are ostensibly public servants to ultimately have to fall in line and let us go to ballot, let us have an election, let us get voted on, and guess what, we won, and we're gonna keep doing that. And um, I think that's, it's just so cool to be able to have been a part of history, and hopefully a part of history that is, has a domino effect that ends up changing the world significantly.
0: Now, one school of thought would say, you know, we're, we're glad that you and your friends and colleagues and other organizers have done this and everything. However, why are you going through the state? Why are you going through the courts? Why are you going through all these bureaucratic measures to get something done instead of fighting what the real problem is, which is fighting big farms who are putting all the animal waste into the Great Lakes, you know, fighting all the big corporations, you know, and organized efforts in that matter, instead of coming up with a legal document saying like this has to be done because it's those things that are becoming more of a problem. Because as, as you said, there's not a lot of time for the stuff to happen. And so as time and time goes on, the problems going to persist further and further. So instead of doing that, just organize more, uh, abolitionist efforts when it comes to environmental justice.
1: I think, yeah. And I think we would agree with that. There definitely needs to be more confrontation to the animal factories that are producing this waste. And we support that, um, advocates for a clean Lake Erie, which is a group we partnered with a lot for the Lake Erie bill of rights. Uh, we did win them over and won their support and they helped us with, uh, gathering the appropriate signatures. They've been really good about um, not only raising awareness and spreading information and a little bit of lobbying, um, but you know, they've also taken the fight to the animal factories as much as possible. The main reason for going after the state is that the state is the biggest enabler and defender and promoter and supporter of these operations. And that's something I think that we can't overlook. Um, just about anybody who's doing harm, whether that be on a social level, an environmental level, an economic level, these people have likely gone to the government and through their state government or through the federal government, won the support of politicians, lined their pockets and have passed laws to make sure that everything they do is considered nice and legal. And anything, any attempt at using the legal system to change that, they're gonna be on, um, you know, like, you know, they're just going to run for it. And that's what we're facing. We tried to challenge, the, we tried to use the legal system for the people. And immediately we were told by the legal system, Whoa, who do you think you are? We're clearly here to enable this, this operation that generates a lot of profit and is keeping some of our elected officials in place. So who do, how dare you come into our house and demand accountability just because you're a citizen? Come on. And that's what we need to challenge. We need to assert and we need to point out that functionally speaking, so much of what our government does in our name is actually against our own interests. And we are gonna, part of why we do the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, part of why we take this approach is to help illustrate the reality that our legal system is not made to protect us, especially environmentalists. That is a big difference we have with a lot of conventional environmentalists who still have faith that our regulatory model of just relying on the EPA or the NRC or some other such entity. We just gotta get a good governor or a good president and they'll appoint some good people to run these regulatory agencies and that'll just fix everything. And the reality is that's not going to work. The regulatory model for environmental protection has been assailed to death. It has been, uh, so many loopholes have been added, so many exceptions. Uh, so much regulatory capture has been put in play for so long that these organizations are functionally um, handcuffed. In fact, most of them receive their funding from the permits they give to corporations to pollute. So it's actually kind of an incentive for them. Uh, you know, If you're working uh, for the EPA or um, the ODNR, the Department of Na- Ohio Department of Natural Resources, Much of what pays your salary are the permit fees that corporations are paying so that they can legally go out and dump some waste or harm the the planet. So there's this perverse thing where a lot of people who are bright eyed and bushy tailed go to law school or get an environmental science degree just to go into industry and basically help enable the pollution of the environment they came to save. It's created this very twisted logic and this dissonance that is just horrible to witness in person. And I guess us at Toledoans for Safe Water, we just refused to participate in that. Uh, Marky Miller, who is kind of our uh, leader, she's the chair of uh, Toledoans for Safe Water. Uh, when I first met her, and she told me she was working on a master's degree in environmental science, I was actually a little hesitant because I thought, "Oh no, this is somebody who's got faith in the system." <laughs> but uh, and uh, but actually, you know, she was pretty skeptical. She had already been connecting the dots and realizing that she wanted she was serious about protecting the environment and she was just seeing that the way things are going isn't going to do it and when she um plugged into seldoff and read some of their material and kind of learned about rights of nature um it was like a calling for her and i don't want to speak for her uh she's an excellent person to have on if you uh get an opportunity i can certainly ask if uh, she would be on your show but well, that'd be great um she's a great yeah she's got a great story herself and uh, it's um, stories like that where people just, we have to point out, we have to keep shining a big light on the fact that the state is enabling all this. The state is the problem. And organizations like the Lake Erie Waterkeepers just think that, well, we just have to have the right court case or we have to have the right, um, we just have to beg and plead properly enough to get the right answers. That's not going to work. And i have just seen the evidence of that too many times to to put time and energy into that approach. And I really think that our um, regulatory system does more to regulate environmentalists than it does industrialists. So that's something to keep in mind.
0: So with the actual bill itself, um, Lake Erie is a very big lake and it covers most of Ohio going right up into Ontario. Um, So is this just really about a part of Lake Erie that's within the Toledo boundary five nautical miles out from Toledo, or does this, you know, the hope is, as you said earlier, that if, if it's happening on Toledo, then hopefully Cleveland gets on board. So you have the whole side of Ohio on board with that. So what does that really look like from a praxis standpoint that if it's, it's set and everything, how does, Toledo's corner of Lake Erie play a whole role of changing Lake Erie's future.
1: Yeah. So there's kind of this weird thing about jurisdiction. Um, and a lot of people have rightly pointed out, well, you know, Toledo's hardly the only uh, entity that borders Lake Erie. You've got at least one other state, Michigan, and you have at least one other country, Canada. So how does that work and how does our legal system, how do you pass a, a law in Toledo that has impact anywhere else? And you know, again, I'm not a lawyer, but functionally speaking, what we did was create what's called a cause of action, which arguably under home rule in Ohio, we are allowed to do. Cause of action is basically um, a legal term that says you have the ability to sue somebody in civil court if they violate this law. So um, by passing the law in Toledo, we basically would say um, this entity polluted Lake Erie, And therefore, we could sue them in civil court in Toledo saying, you just, you harmed us and you need to be held accountable. The best parallel I could say is something like, um, you know, if we made it, uh, municipalities will sometimes pass laws making certain things illegal. Like, let's say something like, um, in this city, again, you'd have to have home rule to do this, but we don't do right turn on red at a traffic light. You know, So we're gonna make it a cause of action that if you do do that against the law, you can be pulled over and charged. Low, the, arguably, cities have the ability to do that where they have been granted the right to self-governance, which they have in Ohio, as I mentioned, through the constitutional amendment that enabled what's called home rule. So we're basically saying that there's a harm, there's a crime, and the crime is damaging this entity that we recognize as having rights, which is Lake Erie. And even if you are stationed outside of Toledo, The reality is you performed acts that harmed our water source and we consider that a crime and we are going to allow people to sue you in civil court for it. So, um, civil suits, this would be, you know, civil cases, not criminal cases. Um, and much like any other civil case it would have to be, you know, we'd have to prove that somebody did it. So we'd have to bring in the science and the evidence that says, hey, this operation did, probably contributed pretty substantively. One of the scare tactics against this was to suggest that, uh, well, you know, anybody who dumps, uh, you know, laundry detergent in the sewer is gonna, you know, get sued, but, you know, proving that that actually had a substantive harm on Lake Erie would take a lot of work in a long court case and people generally actually wouldn't take the time to do that, especially because, People who file the suits on behalf of Lake Erie cannot, under this law, receive any kind of monetary comp- monetary compensation aside for um, legal fees being reimbursed. So you can't privately benefit from suing somebody uh, under this law. All you can do is, A, seek an injunction against a practice, basically get a court order to tell somebody to stop doing something or prevent them from doing something. Uh, and then, yeah, in theory, you know, you could sue them for damages if they have participated. Uh, So past uh, harms that take place anyway could be sued for a financial amount. Uh, In practice, that could be, um, I think we sketched out something like the city could maintain a fund specifically for remediation of Lake Erie, that um, revenue for that is brought in from cases where people are held accountable under this law. So if you talk about the practical aspect of it, that's sort of a, a rough outline of how it could work. Details of that would have to be meted out by the courts as they typically are, but um, uh, arguably any entity, including maybe the city of Detroit, you know, if they were polluting Lake Erie from their angle and it came down and affected us, we could sue them and say, you need to stop this practice. It's not just limited to animal factories. We didn't single them out. Mm -hmm. It's any entity, whether it be public or private, that harms Lake Erie. So um, the international aspect of it, the multi-state aspect of it. It is tricky, but there is precedent because our legal system does actually say, well, the Ohio EPA and the state of Ohio have some kind of legal rounds to protect Lake Erie, as does the state of Michigan, and these aren't necessarily in contradiction. So we're kind of piggybacking on the understanding that the state has some access and some legal jurisdiction over uh, the quality of Lake Erie, given that we border it and that we get our water from it. So, um, it's while people have tried to undermine us by pointing out that, Oh, you can't do that. You're just a city. You have no grounds to pass a law that could affect people otherwise. Well, when you pass a law in one state that says murder is a X degree felony, that doesn't mean that just because somebody comes in from another state and commits it in your state that they're exempt from it. No. Where the crime happens matters. And if the crime happens at our water supply, guess what? We're going to come for you because we've made it illegal to poison our water supply.
0: So it sounds like if I'm hearing you correctly, that it's mostly civil suit from land to water. But what I'm not hearing is actual like maritime law also. Um, And I'm thinking of, and this is a complete hypothetical, complete hypothetical, like a a boat saying come from Cleveland and it's Cleveland clinics, medical waste, and they happen to drop it (laughs) right off the shores of Toledo. So does like or does this bill have any effect on maritime law when it comes to like ships from private companies, public companies, dumping waste that's close by to Toledo also?
1: It's a good question. And I don't know enough about maritime law and where it stands in kind of the hierarchy of law to really comment on that. What I can say is that we did assert that pretty much it doesn't matter. That's one of the great things about the Lake Erie Bill of Rights is we kind of cleaved through a lot of red tape that exists under the Clean Water Act um, that requires you to jump through a lot of hoops and to kind of do a lot of things that are very resource intensive and basically dissuade you from actually invoking it, which is why we haven't been able to invoke the Clean Water Act against these animal factories to begin with. Um, Functionally, it doesn't really matter um, who you are, where you're coming from. The reality is if if you are an organization that can be it can be proven through some sort of evidence or documentation or scientific analysis that you contributed this harm um, knowingly and willingly and you violated the rights of this entity that's a, that's pretty much all we need to have grounds to take you to court and uh, rather than going through a complicated process of filing forms and um, you know again some of that could be added through you know it uh, suppose the Lake Erie Bill of Rights was upheld some of that could be you know refined and made into a little bit more of a bureaucracy but pretty much how we framed it it was such that you can't really um, dodge responsibility by hiding behind some other aspect right as it stands animal factories are completely legal operations they have permits to do what they do and that's actually one of the arguments that was raised in court is you can't pass a local law that invalidates our permits because we do invalidate we say we don't care about your permit you poison our water that's a violation of our drinking right. And who would argue with that? Well, apparently the federal judge. The federal judge (laughs) thinks we don't have the right to consider that uh, our, our drinking water is cause for action against a polluter. And that's what we're up against. We're up against people who have such a narrow view of the law, of the world, of the environment, of who should be accountable to who in our system of governance that they have actually said, Oh, you want to protect your drinking water? No, sorry. You're not allowed to do that. What do you think that this government's for?
0: Right. And so uh, the one thing I want to touch on, and you also mentioned a moment ago, um, is that you've, as you were trying to figure out, should we stay with an existing organization, create a, a whole new organization and you had those conversations, um, I don't know if this has been your experience, but my experience has always been when that happens, then you're talking to people who are very hesitant to create these new organizations because that means a whole new mission, possibly a whole new organizing strategy document, um, and everything that goes along with that. But also it it also brings in people who it's a very, very small group of people who may want to do the work while others are just supporters. Was that your experience in this whole thing? Or did you have like a whole onslaught of people saying yes, whole new organization we're on board and then go through that, uh, process of trying to figure out what this organization
1: is? Well, I went through that process internally about where I should put my energy. So for example, I was there in okay. the founding meetings for, it's for a clean Lake Erie and I brought up, um, the strategy of, uh, because that was part of the organizing for that group is what kind of strategies do we want to implement to get our goal? And I had raised the issue of possibly doing a, um, initiative citizens initiative to enact, um, some sort of rights of nature law around Lake Erie. And they kind of voted and decided that that they didn't want to do that. And that's fine. And I continued to support them. But uh, I still had an interest in that law. So I kind of had to scratch that option off the list on a personal level. Now, the other thing about this is that, remember, this was early 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so 2016 was kind of a banner year for people suddenly kind of getting involved in politics and go, putting their foot down and saying, you know what, I've never gotten involved before, but I'm really pissed off about what's going on. Um, and I, wanna, I want something to do. So as kind of an organizer who's just out there in the community, I kind of had a lot of people reaching out to me through social media. I had people come into meetings for other organizations I was involved with where in conversation it would come up that they were really, they wanted something substantive to be done about the issue of water. Cause everybody knew that the politicians were just having meetings and talking about how, Oh, this is very interesting. We care, but there was nothing substantive happening. Um, in showing people the options like, Hey, there's this group advocates for clean Lake Erie and some people dabbled in that and would come to meetings. But again, I think there was kind of a weird cultural bias that, uh, that I think is generational where, um, people who got a lot out of those meetings and participating in it were a little bit older because their strategy was ultimately to agitate, use grassroots tactics to shame and call out the mm-hmm. response, the response. Parties, but ultimately try to get them to um, enforce what's called a TMDL or Total Maximum Daily Load provision of the Clean Water Act against uh, animal factories. That's a fight they're still fighting. And they've actually had a couple federal court cases that came that close to passing, but it was like Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football, which (laughs) is, you know, that's always what happens is, oh, we go in court for a year or two, and oh, sorry, last minute, we could, but we're not gonna. Right, right. We had that a couple times uh, with the assistance of a great organization, the Environmental Law and Policy Center out of Chicago. And it's kind of like, um, I was just t- talking to so many people and they were like, I wanna do something more. And their eyes lit up when I said, well, I'm, I'm interested and I've, you know, me and some other people are talking about doing this rights of nature initiative. We're gonna amend the city charter. We're gonna, I mean, that was stuff that got people excited in a way that, oh, we're gonna try to get the state to enforce a bureaucratic aspect of the Clean Water Act. It just, it wasn't the same cell. People were motivated. So it kind of naturally, just the idea, captured people's imagination in a way that they were kind of self-motivated. And we were able to attract a lot of people on the merits of just what we were attempting to do, because it made so much sense. It was a big thing. It was something that people knew they could participate in and, and, and really be part of history. Those were compelling things. Um, Not that the work ACLE or the water keepers was doing wasn't meaningful or important, but I think for a younger audience that's got a little more of a radical bent and doesn't have as much faith in the system, it just didn't have as much appeal. So um, individuals were coming to me saying they were interested in water, and I would kind of give them options, and a lot of them said, I would like to do this ones for Safe Water group that's working on the Lake Erie Bill of Rights. So that's kind of how we, that's kind of how the organizing happened is um, a few of us decided on the, on the approach and just, there was a lot of interest in getting support for that.
0: So what would be your advice to someone listening to this episode right now who is interested in environmental justice or even social justice or economic justice? And either they're the brand new activist or an organizer, or they're just the, activism organizer that's kind of like a quote-unquote midlife crisis don't know where to go at this point okay. what advice um would you give to that person
1: well if you're just kind of new and you're hitting the scene so to speak um my advice is take a year or two to really explore what's out there show up to the organizations that already exist come to some public meetings uh try to get to know some of the key people And get a sense of whether or not those are things you'd like to do. Um, And if maybe they might not be the most exciting thing in the world to you at least to start with, but it's important to show up and to participate and to build uh, connections in the community as it exists so that when you do have a big idea like the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, um, you know, there's not a territorial aspect. I mean, we could have easily run into a problem where it was seen like we were trying to edge in on territory or we had some big conflict. And I think we avoided that. Uh, We always kind of were able to keep um, good connection with say, ACLE, in part because, you know, we never saw our differences and approach as contradictory, but complementary. And we made a lot of inroads over the years to the point where most of our membership was helping us collect signatures and show up in support and agitate for us when we needed to agitate. So we we were able to kind of build an alliance with them over the years as organizations because we were good at showing up in support, not being too like, ah, we just need to go do our own thing. Um, there's kind of a, a line and it, it's a little bit of an art to know when to start your own group and when to support one that already exists. But to somebody getting started, I think it, it's always a benefit to know what's out there and to really know it and not just make a a superficial judgment to get to know the work that's happening and not happening. So you know what vacuums might need to be filled Mm -hmm. to build connections and to maybe sharpen your ax a bit as far as, um, you know, volunteering for a few things. Like um, to me, being an organizer is, you know, learning how to do things like make a website or run a meeting or uh, order yard signs or get a, a good graphic made for a flyer or, you know, circulate a petition successfully. Those are all like the routine mundane day-to-day things that an organizer has to know how to do and has to know how to help other people to do and to do well. And the best way to get into that field is to show up to existing organizations in practice and you know, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to find some tests are harder for you than others. But you're also going to find your strengths and your weaknesses, and like anything else, play to your strengths, avoid your weaknesses, and as much as possible, network with people who are like-minded, who are good at the things that you're not as good at, so mm-hmm. that when you need to build an organization that can do a combination of tasks, you can get a good team of people together, and you've got all your bases covered, and hopefully covered with uh, at least a backup or two for each of those key roles. So. Um, listen, show up, participate, get a sense of what's happening and then build from there. Sean, where can they, where can people find you as well as Toledoans for safe water at? Uh, find me in terms of like get in touch with me or find me in terms of organizations I'm involved with.
0: In organizations you're involved with or want to get in touch with you.
1: Oh man. Um, see organizations I'm involved with. Uh, I'm the treasurer for Toledo area jobs with justice. I'm also the treasurer and founder of a community radio station, uh, WAKT 106.1 FM. Um, I'm currently working on an organization called Save UTMC. That's the University of Toledo Medical Center. That's our only publicly owned hospital and it's in danger of closing. We're currently agitating to keep that open right now. Um, There's probably some others that I just, off the top of my head, (laughs) I can't even think of right now because I wear so many hats. I hear you. But those are are the big things I'm, uh, I'm working on currently and um, I don't really have because I'm, I'm kind of uh, all over the place. I'm, I'm kind of a, as, as I think many organizers fall into the trap of being, you know, I just, I'm so passionate that I'm involved in a lot of things and I've never been able to come up with a business card because I don't even know what to highlight right. and I don't really have like a one-stop shop, but I am on Facebook. You can find me under my name, Sean Nestor. Um, and I also have a, a Facebook account, Nestor for Toledo, where I kind of expound on, you know, some of the issues I'm working on locally and issue wise, campaign wise. Awesome.
0: Sean, I want to thank you for um, being on the show today. And this has been very enlightening and hope everyone got something out of it today.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me and uh, really appreciate the invitation. It was a pleasure to be here.
0: Not a problem. Hopefully we have you come back on and talk about what's going on with the medical clinic that you were just talking about. Hopefully we can have you update us on what's going on with that as well. Yeah, I'll be glad to. Cool. Thank you very much. Uh you are listening to Firebrand. Um you can check us out on Spotify. Search us on Firebrand all lowercase as well as SoundCloud. Um check us on the Facebook and follow us there also at Facebook.com forward slash Firebrand. And hopefully you enjoy this um and check us out on all three of those outlets for New upcoming episodes. And with that, y'all just keep fighting a good fight and stay healthy out there as well.